to another Contemplate episode brought to you by Axe Church in Vancouver, Washington. Pastor David Robinson is our teacher, and today we'll be in Acts chapter 2. We can learn so much from the early church about living our faith, and that's where Pastor David is zeroing in today. So please get out your Bible for today's lesson, recorded live at Acts Church. If you remember, um, Peter had given his sermon to 3,000 people, had come into the church on the day of Pentecost. They were speaking other languages. God showed his power. The church began. People became baptized, became followers of Christ. And then we had a, a verse that talked about kind of the four kind of pillars of how the church works. Um, devoted to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayer. So this week we'll finish up in chapter 2 um, and see kind of the introduction to how the earliest disciples of Christ were living. Let's stand together as we read the Word of God together. And this is verse 43 of chapter 2. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods, and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. You can have a seat. The Word of God. Awesome. So, let's just kind of get started here in verse 43, right? Verse 43, I'm going to read it one more time. It says, Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. So fear comes upon the people in Jerusalem. And what is this fear that we're talking about? The word has more than one meaning. The actual Greek word that's used here, and in many places to, to denote fear, is the word phobos. Phobos, I don't know, Greek, right? I think that's how you pronounce it. The word has shades of meaning. It's a middle term. Sometimes it can mean fear, like I'm afraid, like I'm trembling. And sometimes it can mean awe, that kind of fear, that kind of reaction that you would have to a holy God, a creator of the universe. And so in the, in the passage in 1 John where it's telling us fear casts out, or love casts out fear, we're seeing this idea that love casts out the kind of trembling, that kind of fear of judgment, because once you're in Christ and, you have the, and you're in love with Christ and he's in love with you, there's no more fear of that judgment. But there's still the respect and the awe that that word can also mean, right? And we have another passage, Romans 8, 15, where we see the similar shading. It says, For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. So th- that's, a, that's a good verse because it, it gives us this idea of God as, as our daddy, as our father. And most of us had some fear of our father. Some, it was negative, to be fair. And some, it was positive. Usually most earthly daddies are going to have a little bit of the both. But a truly, as we can imagine, a truly loving father you would have no fear so long as you were in that place with him and loving him, but you would still always have that reverence and respect and awe that any little child has for their dad, right? That's the kind of fear that we're supposed to have. So the fear of a believer needs to be reverence and awe. That's when we hear that, when we hear that, 
um, phrase in the Bible, fear God. It's not a fear of judgment, not once you're a believer. Now, for those outside, for those who are unbelievers, it's unquestionable. You have to fear the judgment of a righteous God, as you should, because he is righteous, and he is going to judge the world. But for those of us inside, there's no more of that. There's no more of that fear. Then we're just talking about the fear of reverence and awe for our Father. So I think both are happening here in this verse. In verse 43, I think in the city of Jerusalem we have fear, and I think it's both. I think some are seeing God and his works and are in awe and respect, and I think some are recognizing their own sin and are in fear of judgment. So I think we're covering both in that verse. Let's move on. Verses 44 and 45, it says this. Now all who believe were together... And had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. Okay, the communist Christianity verses. These are fun ones. People get nervous when we preach on this kind of thing. So this is one of those great spots in Acts where we get to do what we've talked about a number of times. Determine whether what we're seeing is descriptive or prescriptive, right? Descriptive, simply describing what happened in the early church... Right? Or prescriptive saying, you ought to act this way also. So we gotta look at it and see. The first part of it says, now all believed, who believed were together. They were together. So the clear import of this phrase is that there's a strong community of believers. These early Christians, they were living life together. They were living life together. This is an important thing, um, because the most important thing in every one of their lives was to follow Christ. That created a unity and a togetherness in the early church. So these people are coming. Remember, there's no such thing as a Christian prior to this time. This is, this is brand new. Christianity is brand new. And all these people come together. And all of a sudden, you have this whole group of people, all of whom have the same number one priority in their life, to follow Christ. This causes a community. If you go today to any state or any country or any place on the face of the earth, and you run into another believer... Another person who believes in Christ, if you're a believer and you run into somebody, there is an instant unity and connection with them. It, it's an amazing thing. It's, it doesn't matter if they speak your language. It doesn't matter what's going on. There's a, there's a safety. There's a connection. There's this thing where you're saying to yourself, this person and me are unified somehow because we have the same father, because we have the same first priority. We follow Christ. That's, that's, it's a spiritual connection with every other believer on earth. And it's a very interesting thing. But, but it started right here. It started right here, this word togetherness. That's what it's referring to. It's referring to this community, this family that began. These bonds that were formed. So that part is certainly prescriptive. We're to be together. We're to be together. We're to be unified. We're to be one, the body of Christ. No question. Now, the next part of the passage is a little more controversial. It says, And had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods, and divided them among all as anyone had need. Now, there's a couple people whispering to their spouse, Honey, act like you're going to the bathroom. Grab the kids. I'll grab the car. Let's get out of here. Before this guy starts telling us to give him all our stuff, right? Here's the thing. I'm not going to ask you to do that. We wait until people have been here at least like three weeks before we make them give all their stuff to the church, right? No, I'm not going to ask you to do that. Um, we got to look at this passage, and we have to look at the context. In any passage that's in Scripture, we have to look at the context. And I'm going to tell you a couple of ways to look at the context of this passage. The first one is you got to read the whole story. That's number one. Read the whole story. 
as we go through the book of Acts and the other books of the New Testament, what you're going to see about this state of affairs that existed at the very beginning of the church is that it was temporary. It was temporary. It did not last. This is not the way the church continued. This is just the way the church was right at the beginning. And it was voluntary. We'll see a little bit more of this on the first few chapters of Acts, um, where you see this kind of somewhat communal living, where people are selling some things and so on. I remember they're not selling everything because we just read together how they were going house to house. So people obviously still had their homes. Not selling everything, but, there, but there's a lot of selling of stuff going on. There's a lot of sharing of stuff going on, temporary and voluntary. Okay, so that's important. The next thing, the second way to put this passage into context, besides reading the whole story, is to look at the particular facts of the situation. That's the second way we want to put this in context. Let's look at the particular facts of the situation. What's going on here? What's going on in the early church? First, the Holy Spirit has come upon the church, okay? And it became, it exploded. One day, 3,000 people, okay? Now, here's the thing. Before it can spread, remember, Christ said, go to Jerusalem, and from Jerusalem, it's going to spread, right? Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. So we know that, that Christianity is going to go out in concentric circles from this one place. But before it can do that, they have to do the other part of the Great Commission, which was teach them to obey all that I've commanded you. So they have to be able to stay there for a certain amount of time in Jerusalem together as one before they can go out. Now, here's the thing. Where were the apostles from? They were from Galilee right? Far away from Jerusalem. So they had to stay there. They obviously couldn't be going to work at their normal trades because they weren't in their hometown. So they had to, as they're teaching people how to obey and how to know Christ, they're teaching the word, they have to be taken care of, right? So we know at least they would, somebody's going to have to share with them because they're teaching, so they've got to be shared with. So what about the other people? Remember where they came from, the 3,000 people? They had come from all over the place to celebrate Pentecost. They came to observe the Feast of Pentecost. So all these people had come into town. That's why, as we read weeks and weeks ago, that the languages that were spoken by the apostles when the Holy Spirit came upon them were different languages, different people from far away. So they were all there in Jerusalem and would not have, if they had to stay for a long time to be taught the word, they wouldn't have had anything. So you have a very particular situation and reason for why this sharing of this type is going on. That's what's going on with these people. Now, having said that, there are some things that we can take from what's going on here. There are some definite, important ways that the church can act, that we can gather and gain from what was going on here, even though it's contextually different than what we have right now. One is, we need to take care of each other. We need to take care of each other. Obviously, one of the ways that we can look at this is, okay, this is a passage about kind of giving to the church. And that's probably true. And giving generously to the church is certainly a prescriptive part of the church from the very beginning till today, that you ought to give generously to your local church. But there's another part of this, and it's about taking care of our brothers and sisters in Christ. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 10, it says, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all especially to those who are of the household of faith. Now, that's important. We are sometimes prone to some of the more showy forms of giving, tipping at a restaurant, which you should do, by the way. 
Don't be a cheapskate. The worst thing you can do is have this, the church crowd that goes out on Sunday afternoon and everybody doesn't like them because none of them tip very well. Not a good thing to do for the name of Christ, honestly. So tip, okay? Don't be cheap. But some people are into that type of thing or into these charities that everybody hears about or they get, uh, you know, they watch something on TV and they want to give to this charity or that charity. All good things. All good things. Those are great things. You should have a heart to help people. It says to all. But it says especially to the household of faith. And so here's the thing. You should be taking care of your brothers and sisters in Christ in your local church first. You should be taking care of them first. That's part of being together. It says they were all together. We need to make sure that we're sacrificially giving to take care of our brothers and sisters. It's part of what the church is about. You don't need an invitation to go to your brothers and sisters and help them when they're in need. There are people in this church whose families are going through tremendous things, difficult things, loss of job, loss of income, things like that. We should, prior to giving to the United Way or to something else like that, we should be making sure that we're taking care of our brothers and sisters because we're especially supposed to take care of them. That's our primary thing. And as a church, we want to do things in the community. We want to do outreach. We want to do all of that. But first, we have to make sure that our own body is taken care of. Now, you might be saying, well, that's difficult. That's difficult, Pastor David, because, you know, I don't know in some cases where there is somebody in need, but I don't know if giving them money might be enabling them to continue to be in need. In other words, by, by helping them out too much, it keeps them from having the motivation to go out and get a job and take care of their family and do what they need to do, which is unquestionably another command of Scripture. We're to take care of our families. We're to go out. We're to work hard for what we have. No question. And so you worry, well, I don't know if I'll have the discernment to know which is which. I have a wonderful and very easy way to get that discernment. Get to know each other. We're supposed to be together. We're supposed to be a family. If you say this family's in need, but I don't know whether I'd be enabling them or not, why don't you know? Well, because you don't know them well enough. So get together with them. Take them out to dinner. You're not going to enable anybody by taking them out to dinner, right? Get to know them. Get to know what's going on. Then you'll have the discernment to know whether or not you should give in that situation. But don't not give to anybody because you're worried that they might not use it right. Instead, we as a group without any help or prodding from outside, should be helping each other and taking care of one another. There may come a time for you when you're in need. You lose your job. You go through a health problem. You have a difficult time. And at that time, this place should be the best place in the world for you to be. You should be able to come here and know that there's support, both emotionally, spiritually, and financially. Some of you have people in your own life groups. You have people who sit next to you on Sunday who are in serious need. Some of you are too proud to admit that you have need, but that's not how to be here. It's no pride. We're all children of God. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. We shouldn't be hiding from each other what we need. We should be taking care of one another. We also should not be taking advantage of one another, right? We have to be the body. We have to know each other, know each other's needs, and take care of each other. I don't think there's any question about that. So we definitely have a descriptive passage here. The idea that we have all things in common and that type of thing, this sort of Christian communism idea, that's not prescriptive. That's descriptive. But there's no question that there's prescriptive elements of what's going on. The church being together and taking care of one another. 
So um, let's move on to verse 46. It says, So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. Okay. Um, so they were continuing daily. Now some of you are like, what? You mean they came more than Sunday or every other Sunday or, um, you know, quarterly? Yep, every day in the temple, meeting together, then meeting house to house, eating together, praying together, studying together. This was the life of the church. And I know that contextually the way that we live now in our society is very different than theirs was. I understand that. The truth is, the way we live in our society is very different than it was 50 years ago or 30 years ago. Because when I was young, you went to church on Sunday morning, you went to Sunday school, you went to Sunday night church, you went to Wednesday night church. And that, didn't account, that did not count for other Bible studies, events, things like that. Regular church attendance, being at church a lot, was very normal. Now we've come, in this society, we've gotten so busy... We've allowed ourselves, or I don't even say we've allowed ourselves like it was something we thought about. It just sort of happens, doesn't it? We just sort of get busy and realize we've got all this stuff to do. But here's the thing. What are we called to do? I'm not saying that we're called to be at church every day and then go into each other's houses every day. But we do have something like that. We come here on Sundays. We come here um, sometimes on a Wednesday night for a night of worship or for a night of prayer, things like that. We come during the week to get together as a whole group. We also, at this church, get together regularly, different days of the week, in life groups, where we live life together, where we study together, where we pray together, where we cry together, where we laugh together. Um, that's what it's about. That's what it's about. That's part of being together, part of being together as a family, right? Now, that's the method of church that we need to see. Again, I'm not saying that it's prescriptive, that you come to church every day and to somebody's house every day. Nobody wants you in their house every day. I can just tell you that, okay? Especially some of you. You know, I'm just, I'm just saying. Nobody wants me in their house every day. I guarantee it. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that let's not become so busy that we don't have time for God. This is the question that, that I would want to ask you. If living as a Christian means following Jesus Christ as your number one priority, if that's what it means, and if that's true, how much time should you be giving him? And if the model for the body of Christ is to meet together regularly, to live together regularly, do life together, do prayer, do worship, do study together, how much time should you be giving that? If I was to look from the outside, someone was to look from the outside, particularly God, who is looking, would he say that following him was your first priority? based on how you spend your time? And if not, what would he say it is? Now, I'm not, I'm not trying to get on everybody. I'm just saying, think about that. Think about that. Because we see the early church, they're excited about Christ. What they do is immediately they start living together. They start being together all the time. And there are reasons for that. There are reasons why it might be a little bit different than, for them than it is for us. But should we be together a lot? Should we be supporting each other a lot? I don't even know how people do it. I'm going to be honest with you. I have a life group that's fantastic. I do not know how people do it without that kind of support in their life. You're just, you're just struggling unnecessarily. We need to be together. We need to be together. So 
Um, Let's get to the last verse for this morning. Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. So when I say that we got to live life together and we got to stay thankful, eating our food with gladness, right? We got to share with one another. When I say those things, those things are not just for um, because they're there, but because there's a reason for them. Because so long as you're doing those things, you will stay in the fear of God and the favor for Him and for His body. You are His body, the body of Christ. You will stay that way so long as you stay implanted in that togetherness. When you get away from it, it becomes much more difficult. It becomes much more easy for it to become, to become familiar, and then when you get frustrated, you walk away from it. We gotta, we've got to not allow familiarity to breed frustration. We should be able to be Christians for 50, 60, 70 years and, and be just as excited, no, much more excited about the God who we're going to serve forever, who we're going to love forever. Don't let it become familiar. Heaven's going to be really boring for you if that's the case, right? Because it's just more Jesus and more Jesus. And if that's what you want, you're going to be very happy there. And if that's not what you want... Frankly, you probably won't be there, right? Because no one's going to be there who doesn't want Jesus. That's what heaven's about. It's about Jesus. That's got to become something that we have incredible favor for. So we've got to submit to one another, right? We've got to love one another. We've got to serve one another. We've got to share with one another. We've got to be together. We've got to move together as a group. We've got to see the work of God happen as a group. And if we do all these things and we stay in community, and we stay strong as the body of Christ, and we stay in the fear and favor section of this path, then we get to see the last part of verse 47. And the Lord added to the church daily those who are being saved. Doesn't that sound like a great way to live faith? What a difference it could make in each of our lives. And if this practical Bible teaching is what's missing for you, Come see us this Sunday morning at Axe Church in Vancouver, Washington. Pastor David loves to meet folks who listen to Contemplate, and I just know you'll be blessed. So come see us. Get directions and all the info you need at axechurchnw.org. Or call us at 360-885-9000. Hope to meet you this Sunday. Well, that's all the time we have for today. And I hope you'll check out the next episode for more with Pastor David Robinson here on Contemplate.